I want you to imagine for a second uh, that you are living back in your parents' house during your teenage years. Uh, And one night, you want to go out and hang out with your friends. And so you ask your parents, and and they say, yeah, go ahead, uh, just be back by 11, that's your curfew. So you're out at night, and you're having a lot of fun, and 11 o'clock is coming around, and you say to yourself, I don't feel like going home. And so you stay out. Midnight rolls around, and you say, I probably should go home now. And so you walk into your home, and your parents are still up. And they say to you, where have you been? How do you think it would go over if you said, I just didn't feel like coming home? How would you as parents respond if your children came home and said, yeah, I just didn't feel like coming home at that time? My parents probably would have said, well, that wasn't a suggestion. 11 o'clock was a suggestion. It was a rule. It was what I told you to do. And so you don't get to decide whether you want to follow that rule or not. It's not a suggestion. You must do it. Besides, whose house are you living in? This is my house, my rules. And that makes sense, right? And as we grow up, and now that we look back, we know that our parents had rules in the house for our protection and for our good. They come from a heart of love. And they didn't want us to take those rules as suggestions. They wanted us to take them as rules and follow them. Too often, too often we view God's commandments, His rules, as suggestions. And I don't think... Uh, there is another one that we're more guilty of than the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Our culture, our society, has sex everywhere. It is in our face. And our hearts have become so callous to it uh, that we have now taken this commandment as a suggestion. And so today, we are going to be talking about this commandment, the Sixth uh, Commandment. And it's going to be challenging. It's going to be convicting. Uh, And yet, it's something that we need to dig into because it's God's truth. It's not something we can ignore. And so to begin, we're going to begin way at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And then once we get uh, talk generally about the Sixth Commandment, we're going to talk specifically, and we're going to look at a specific account in Scripture uh, where adultery was... uh, on the table, so to speak. Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth, and in part of His creation, He created a man named Adam. Uh, Adam was alone. And God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So he, he, could, uh, he performed the first surgery. He put Adam to sleep. He took a, a part of Adam's rib, and he formed Eve, made a woman. And, and God brought... Eve to Adam, and he instituted marriage in the perfect garden of Eden. Uh, And at their wedding, God said, for this reason, for marriage, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will be one flesh. It is in the confines of marriage, the way God defines marriage, that this gift of sex is to be enjoyed. And yet you turn the page to Genesis chapter 3 and what happens? Adam and Eve take God's rule as a suggestion. 
God said, don't eat from this tree. Any other tree you can eat from, just don't eat from this one. And they say, well, it's more of a suggestion. I feel like eating it right now, so I'm going to eat it. And they fall into sin. And they bring death and perversion of every kind into the world. Perversion against the sixth commandment as well. And from that moment through today, perversion against the sixth commandment has been rampant. You read the Old Testament and you will see some pretty messed up stories. King Solomon, one of the kings of Israel, had 300 wives and 700 concubines, 700 maidservants that he slept with. thousand women. Part of his palace, part of his harem. Uh, and, and that's not even the worst of them that you could find in the Old Testament. It is littered with God's people perversion against this commandment. And we have seen perversion against this commandment uh, all the way up until today. I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Does our society view uh, sex that, as something that should be enjoyed between just a man and a woman in their marriage? No. But I want to give you some statistics anyways to show you. Here are some t- statistics from uh, a survey done. Nearly half of teens have had sex by the age of 19. Living together before marriage has increased by 900% in the last 50 years. Uh, This one's pretty incredible. Teens and young adults that took this survey said it is more immoral to not recycle than to look at porn. 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image and 41% of them have admitted to sending one. This is a society we live in. You can turn on television, you can turn on TV, and just about every TV show has it in some way, shape, or form. It is everywhere in our face. But the thing is, we don't have to go outside these walls to see perversion of of the Sixth Commandment, right? It's in our hearts as well. Some of us maybe feel that uh, sex is okay as long as it's between two consensual adults, two consenting adults. Maybe some of us feel that it's okay uh, as long as it's a committed relationship. Maybe some of us feel that it's okay to lust after somebody because you're not really hurting anybody. Maybe some of us feel that it's okay to uh, flirt as long as I don't touch. Maybe someone, some of us don't think it just needs to be between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. But here's the reality. Feelings are not facts. Facts are facts. God's truth is fact. And all of those examples have one thing in common. They break the sixth commandment. And we're all guilty of it. Jesus says in in Matthew that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is where the breaking of the Sixth Commandment starts. Here's something I want you to know, though, as we go forward. Because we keep saying, you shall not, you shall not. We see all this. Here's the reality. God, He wants you to have sex. He wants you to enjoy it but He wants you to enjoy it in the confines of marriage the way He defines it. 
And it's for our protection. It is for our good. Our good physically, our good emotionally. It's, good, it's for the good of your spouse. It's so that His people, His creations, aren't taken as objects to be used for my pleasure. It's for protection all around. That is why this commandment is there. You may have heard people say, it's my body, I will do what I want. And I hope when you hear that, you kind of cringe. Because what we're going to see today is that we are not our own to do what we want with whomever we want, however we want. And Joseph knew this. A man named Joseph. Joseph lived around 1950 B.C. He was the 11th brother of 12. uh, And he was also daddy's favorite. One day, his dad came up to him and he gave him this coat of many colors. He had never made anything that elaborate for any of his other sons. But he said, Joseph, you're my favorite. I love you. All the brothers know it. I don't care. Here's this gift. Uh, You are my favorite. And the brothers despised him. They despised Joseph. And so one day, Joseph comes out to the fields where his brothers are shepherding the flock and he's wearing his nice, bright, uh, and multicolored coat. And he, he comes out and he's bringing uh, some food for his brothers. Louis B., good morning. Glad you're here. Come on in, have a seat. Good to see you. Good to see you, Louis B. Monica, Joe, glad you're here. So, Joseph, Joseph goes out to the field to bring his brothers some food. And as the brothers see Joseph coming up uh, with this bright multicolored coat on that Daddy gave them, gave him that he didn't give anybody else a gift, they say to themselves, "Let's kill him. Let's kill him." And so they grab Joseph. And just as they're about to kill him, older brother says, Stop. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this well until we figure out what to do with him. And so they throw him into this well called a cistern that had no water in it. And there he sat. Until, all of a sudden, they see on the horizon somebody coming. And as they get closer, they realize, Ah, here are some slave traders coming. Let's sell him, make some money, and we get rid of our problem and we don't have to kill him. And so that's what they do. These slave traders come, they sell their brother into slavery, and the slave traders take him from uh, the Holy Land around Jerusalem area all the way down to Egypt, where he knows nobody, where he doesn't know any Egyptian language. He knows Hebrew. He's by himself. These slave traders uh, sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar, who is in the, uh, the Pharaoh's royal court. He's the king of Egypt. And so Potiphar is a a really prestigious man. And Joseph becomes a a house servant for Potiphar. And everything that he does prospers. Because he's hardworking, he's trustworthy, and God blessed him. And so pretty soon after uh, Potiphar notices that Joseph, everything he touches is blessed, and, and he's trustworthy, Potiphar puts everything under his care. And all Potiphar worries about is eating and drinking. Everything else is under Joseph's care. 
And we're going to pick up this story in Genesis chapter 39, beginning with verse 6. And we're going to see that pretty soon with Mr. Potiphar out, uh, only caring about eating and drinking, Mrs. Potiphar takes notice of Joseph. Here's what happens. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. When Mrs. Potiphar married Potiphar, I doubt she had planned in her heart that one day she would commit adultery. I doubt on her wedding day she said, one day, you know what, I'm going to cheat on Potiphar. And yet adultery starts in the heart, right? And Mrs. Potiphar took notice of Joseph. He's well built. He's handsome. He's a leader. Everything he touches is is prospering. Potiphar, he's out doing who knows what. I'm just here with Joseph. And she leads herself astray as she lusts after Joseph. And finally she says, come to bed with me. And look how Joseph responds. With my master in charge, he has... No concern. He's put everything under my command. And then he says this, How could then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? We may have expected Joseph to say, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? But no, he says, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Here's what Joseph knew, and here's what we need to understand. Number one, we belong to God. We belong to God. Potiphar was a prominent man. As I mentioned, he was in Pharaoh's royal court. Uh, He had honor. He had prestige. And I'm sure, we're not told, but I'm sure that Mrs. Potiphar was a pretty good-looking lady. And I'm also sure that Joseph could have slept with her. He could have committed adultery, and he probably could have gotten away with it. The chances that Potiphar would have found out were probably pretty slim because he's off just worrying about eating and drinking and, and his daily life, not anything concerning the house. And yet, what did Joseph know? He knew that he belonged to God. The reason that he was having so much success was because God granted it. The reason he was there breathing, the reason he was still alive, was because he belonged to God. His brothers sold him. His brothers wanted to kill him. And here he is, alive, well, and in charge of this entire household. It was because he belonged to God. And so he knew that if he were to give into this temptation, if he were to commit adultery with Mrs. Potiphar, he would be saying to God, God, I know what you say, I know what you desire of me, but my pleasures 
my passions, my desires right here, right now, my feelings are more important than your wishes for my life. You want me to do this, I want to do this, and my passions, my feelings outweigh your desires in my life, your rules for the way you want me to live. Every sexual sin has selfishness behind it, doesn't it? It is my wants, my desires above what God wants for me. Whether that be Snapchatting something we shouldn't be Snapchatting to somebody, whether it be uh, texting something we shouldn't be texting to somebody, whether it be uh, living together before marriage, whether it be uh, lusting after my coworker, whether it be getting into pornography, whether it be any sexual sin, it all comes back to selfishness. My wants, my desire above God's. God says, honor this gift inside the confines of marriage. And we say, but what I feel right now is more important than your wishes, God. But what we have to understand is what Joseph understood. We belong to God. The reason you are sitting here right now and your heart is beating, you have breath in your lungs, your mind is functional is because God says for all of that to be working. God says breathe. God says heart beat. If He didn't, you wouldn't be here. We belong to God. He's created us. He sustains us. And Joseph knew that. He knew we belong to God. He also knew, your second point, we belong to others. We belong to others. Joseph knew he belonged to first God, but then he belonged to Potiphar. Potiphar owned him. He was his household servant. But you know who also belonged to Potiphar? Potiphar's wife. Just like he belonged to her, she belonged to him. We are not our own. We belong to to others. And Joseph also knew that he belonged to his future spouse. If you are here married today, the truth is you are not your own. You are first God, second, you belong to your spouse. And your spouse belongs to you. Paul in his letters, God through Paul in his letters actually said, get even more specific, where he says, your body belongs to your spouse and your spouse, spouse's body belongs to you. Not just emotionally, but our bodies do. We belong to our spouses. Single people, if you're here today and you're single, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, this commandment still applies to you. Because if you're single, you still have the ability to get married there's still the, the chance that you're going to get married at some point in your life. And your body belongs to your future spouse. And what does God say about marriage and, and sex? It's that you become one flesh. You become emotionally one and physically one. Here's why this is important. I have this piece of duct tape here. What happens the more times 
that I take this duct tape and rip it off. At first it's really sticky, right? But the more times that I do it, it gets less and less sticky as the stickiness wears off. Every time we sleep around with someone who's not our spouse before marriage, we get less and less emotionally sticky. And when you finally do get married, it's going to be harder to emotionally stick to your spouse because your emotional stickiness has already been worn off. Application for all of us, married or non-married. We want to honor this gift of sex within marriage. We want to honor it. And so if, there's, if you are single and you're a guy, don't be a married woman's emotional savior. Don't be her crying shoulder. That's her husband's job. And if he's not doing it, that's a girlfriend's job, not your job. If you're a woman here and you're single, don't dress provocatively to walk down the street and get all the guys' heads to turn. You, that's not where your value is anyways. Your value is in what your God says about you. And for sure, don't lead somebody who's uh, a guy who's married away by lusting after you. All of us, uphold this gift of marriage. Uphold this gift of sex within marriage. Because God takes it seriously. It brings people, man and woman, together as one. One flesh. This is what Joseph knew. This is what he did. This is a very convicting commandment when we start to dig into it. Uh, it, it's, our hearts have become so callous to it because of everything that we see in this world as far down society has gone that uh, our, our hearts are so callous to it. It's like working out in the garden and you get the calluses on your, on your hands. Our hearts become that callous to this commandment because we see it every day. It's no big deal. And yet when we start to dig in and we see what God demands, we see how far we've fallen short. And so if you're here today and you're sitting here or you're listening in and you're feeling guilt, you're feeling shame, uh, there is good news. And that is that you're not your own. Here's what God says through the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your third point. We were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. And that is the most fantastic news you could ever hear. God knew before the creation of the world all of the sins you would commit. He knew the sins you would struggle with. He knew everything that you were going to do that was against His commandments. Just like He knew all the ones I would fall against. And God said, I'm still willing to pay the price because I love you that much. I'm willing to pay anything to have you. And what was that price? The holy, precious blood of Jesus. He said, I'm willing to pay it because I want you as my own. And when Jesus died on the cross and He shed His blood, you became God's. He freed you from the slavery to sin, death, and the devil. They no longer have control over you. They no longer have power over you. God does. And God says, as my own, here's what I declare about you. 
You are innocent, forgiven, because I've paid the price for everything that you've done wrong. You are free. And if that's not amazing enough, I wonder if you caught the other amazing thing in this section. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? God now says about you, I want you to be my church. I want you to be my temple. I want you to be the person that I live in. God lives in you. The incredible part about that, what do we know about God and sin? They can't be together, right? And so God must say about you, your sins are forgiven. You are completely perfect in my sight. That is the only way that God says, my Holy Spirit lives in you. I live in you. Is if you are perfect and holy. And that's what He's made you through Jesus' precious blood shed on the cross where He's forgiven all of your sins. That is incredible news. You were bought at a price. That is fantastic news because now you are freed from everything of your past. He keeps no record of your wrongs. This is why we want to honor God with our bodies. He lives in us. He has freed us from sin. He has made us His own. And so it's my prayer today, and always, that if you struggle with this sin, if you struggle with the Sixth Commandment, come talk to me. I will not judge you. I will not shame you. That's not the purpose of it. Come talk to me and I will help you build you up in Jesus. This temptation, this sin, is one that we don't want to talk about. It brings us the most shame, the most guilt, and yet that is exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to stay off in the corner and not talk about it so that he can shame you and make you feel guilty. Don't live that way. We shouldn't live that way because we are forgiven. We are freed from it. And so come, talk to me. If you are, uh, have a porn addiction, come talk to me. I've got resources that can help you. Uh, if you've had an experience in the past that something's been done to you, Come talk to me. We can get you counseling. We can build you up. Because we are in this together. Why? Because none of us are our own. We belong to God. He bought each and every one of us with a price, and it was the price of Jesus. And we want to build each other up in that good news. So this week, may God be with us as we honor Him with our bodies. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and your forgiveness that does not condemn us, but instead you took our condemnation, you took our punishment on the cross, and in doing so you have bought us with your precious blood, forgiven us of all of our sins, and have made us your temple where you now dwell and live. Uh, What a pleasure that is, Lord. What uh, a privilege it is. We thank you. We ask you to help us to honor you with our bodies. Send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes of faith that we may know you more and more and the love that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.